Joe Patrick, Dirty South Soccer, with another. Oh, I well, the, the, we we haven't revealed what the name of this show is. We are calling it the Overlap. Get it? Because yes. I'm here with Josh Bragrianski, and we're overlapping our podcasts, but we're also working in a soccer pun, which is like the first requirement for any soccer podcast. So, um. Well, I still I still think that you you had that idea way too quick, man. Like we were talking about it, we were like, we gotta come up with something, you know, funny, you know, and you and me, I mean, within five seconds, you're like, how about the overlap? And I was so, like, shit, that's perfect. Like, how do you you've been you've been just wait you have been waiting to woo me to this podcast and you had that as the name to, to seal the deal. So what I did was I li- I simply glanced over to my other monitor, which has football manager on it, and went into the tactics section. Was like, okay, l- let's look for soccer puns that we can find in here. I was like, oh, over saw overlap, and yeah, kind of worked worked beautifully. You didn't want to go with uh, Anchorman. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be giving one of us too much credit, I think, or maybe not. Yeah, credit, but uh, that's also uh, if if we said that was a football manager term, most people would be like, uh, no, that's not that's not. Not the reference here, is it? So, yeah. <laughs> Plus, an anchorman does not work in any tactic on football managers, so we can't nope. use that. No, no. Nope. Um, Too deep. Anyway, we're here because there is an Atlanta United game in like three days <laughs> that has just kind of been yeah. creeping up on us, and um, there hasn't been enough people talking about it. So we're gonna we're gonna be talking about it. We're gonna be looking ahead to what this lineup might look like that comes out on Saturday. Of course, none of us really know because we're all new to Steven Glass, at least as like a first team manager for the MLS club. So we're going to kind of talk through some of the options he might have. We're going to hear from some of the players. We have some of their audio from this week cut up. I'm Emerson Hyman, Brad Guzan, Jeff Lorenowitz, um, all these kinds of people talk this week and uh, you'll hear some of that. Um, but what are your, what are your first just kind of initial thoughts on what Glass might do in this game, Josh, against against a Nashville team that can be kind of notorious as for what we know about them for kind of bunkering in and making the game ugly. Yeah, I think it's it's an, he has a, a few interesting decisions, but I think if you took a kind of bird's eye view of it, I think you almost see kind of a more vanilla approach almost where it's just play a four, three, three and just just let the players go out there and, and make the, the the deciding factor. You know, I think a big part of this is that the, the fact that he's not going to be here long-term, he doesn't have to come and force in some system or anything like this. And the players have talked about, you know, the ability to express themselves a little bit more. So I almost think that it's almost to just go – He's he, ha, he has some options, but it's going to be more of a just you guys go out there and play and, you know, not, not too much of a tactical uh, – influence more so just letting the players express themselves particularly in attack yeah it's funny um i kind of went through this last year with tottenham as a tottenham fan you're gonna bring up tottenham every single time i absolutely i am absolutely i am that's part of the rules that's part of the rules of this new can i bring up arsenal i don't Mm, want to denied no i'm just kidding no problem no problem i won't bring him up i don't know why you wouldn't bring up spurs oh classic (laughs) classic arsenal fan (laughs) mentality right there just just hates himself. Um, anyway, Mauricio Pochettino is fired. Jose Mourinho came in. And what I really noticed about Mourinho, his first like one or two games was that the tactics were just so simple. And what's interesting about the situation really is that Mauricio Pochettino, what really was going wrong for him tactically was very similar to what was going wrong with Frank DeBoer and Atlanta United, where what was supposed to be this intricate 
forward thinking modern tactic was had contorted itself into this blob that was just kind of a mess and it didn't really have any solid shape, solid structure. And Jose Mourinho came in and was like, we're going to play four, two, three, one. It was so simple. Um, and it actually worked. It, the, the team got some results early. And of course, when you play so simply like that, teams are going to catch on eventually and start to you know figure you out and it gets a little bit more difficult from there. But I think that that's probably what we'll see from Glass, right? Like we'll see him just kind of lay out something relatively simple and let those, let those players go at it. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, and it's kind of always this constant battle, battle I think, with uh, in terms of, you know, you have managers like Pochettino who – uh, are known as as great great minds of the game, but sometimes you know you got it. It's a huge field with eleven players to cover it. You know, so you don't want to put too many restrictions on your players where they feel restrained, particularly when you have a team with quality. So there's always this constant battle between you know managers wanting to play their system, and of course it's important that you play a defined system, but also allowing players the freedom to improvise. So you know, even with a manager like Pochettino. Uh, and obviously to a much lesser extent, Frank DeBoer and Atlanta United, you, teams run into these issues where I just think they just maybe are over uh, over coaching in the end that just causes a malaise and a, and a, um, and poor morale within the team. And that shows through on the field. I think there's so, yeah, there's definitely some real parallels between the end of Pochettino and the end of DeBoer in that sense where you can just literally watch the game and say the, the players aren't enjoying themselves. They're not expressing themselves on the field. And it just looks robotic and regimented. And particularly with teams with attacking quality, as those these two sides do, I mean, that's the last thing that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And things get really bogged down. And then, then when the results don't come, it, everything just compounds on itself, right? Like the, the morale yeah. of the team starts really working against you. Um, Brad Guzan was asked earlier this week about kind of what are the differences between at least what the training sessions have been like under Stephen Glass as opposed to uh, how they were under Frank DeBoer. Let's hear what he had to say. It's him and his staff being receptive to to us as players of what we're experiencing and what we're seeing on the field. And it's it's also, you know, them telling us from a, a coaching staff standpoint of this is what they expect. This is what they want. So this is really interesting to me because. Brad Guzan, last time we had heard from him prior to him speaking this week was, of course, after that Columbus game when that knocked Atlanta United out of uh, MLS's back. And he was talking about saying that we need to have conversations, real conversations. And I don't I wish I had the quote in front of me. That's what a prepared podcaster would do. But he was saying how like the the conversations were like one way, essentially, is what he was getting at. And it's like mm-hmm. there wasn't a dial, an actual dialogue that was going back and forth. And then we didn't really know exactly what that meant at the time. But I think now, definitely looking back, it seemed like there was not like DeBoer and his staff was not as accepting of input from the players into how they wanted to play the game, go about playing the game. It was more top down. Right. And I think, again, that goes back to the the kind of the last point that we discussed where uh, players just felt they felt uh, restricted in his system. They didn't feel like and that all goes to not having a, you know, good line of communication with the manager. And that's all Stephen Glass has to do. Right. I mean, he needs to come in. He needs to, you know, create a better environment. And, uh, you know, in the end, Joseph Martinez is not going to be here. So I think don't think there's a huge expectation to um, even in, I don't think there's MLS Cup or bust uh, expectation that we've seen in past years. So I, he just needs to come in and take that pressure off. And certainly, you know, when you listen to Guzan and some of the other guys talk about uh, the way 
that they're able to communicate more with this staff, you have to believe that that part of his job has already been done where he's created a better environment and things are just happier at the training facility. Yeah, I want to play one more from uh, Brad Guzan. Let's hear that now. Okay. People think of Atlanta United as, as this attacking team, exciting team. That's what we want to be as players. And so now I think Glassy and his staff, they're, they're now giving the freedom and, and the responsibility to the players to go in and express themselves and be forward-thinking players. That's an interesting quote to me because that seems like <laughs> that seems like what we're going to see is uh, you know probably something a little bit more structured, a little bit more rigid and that's not in a not in a bad sense. Like this team needs structure and rigidity, you know, like and and clear direction from what certain players are expected to do. And I think that especially when you look at the attacking players, you know, Atlanta United, they've got all this attacking talent. They didn't score a freaking goal in MLS's back. That's just yeah. not acceptable. But I think the reason why is because some of these attacking players are asked to do so many intricate things in Frank DeBoer's system. And I think that what we're going to see under Stephen Glass is just like even the defensive players had to do. Yeah. A lot yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. And they, it's like yeah. some of the defensive players were asked to go get in the attack. You see Franco Escobar running like up mm-hmm. getting in the box from a center back position. <laughs> um, like it kind of reminds me again to I'll bring this back to Tottenham again. Harry Redknapp, where it's just like, go run around, you know, wingers play wide. It's just like so simple. But sometimes those simple those simple things can can help you, even though they are so simple. And I, and this is the year to do it, right? I mean, you have, I think, two very talented, creative, improvisational type attackers in P.T. Martinez and Ezekiel Barco. But you don't have a, you know, and we're going to talk about the addition of Kubo Torres in a little bit, but you don't have that Joseph Martinez up top to score goals. So you almost want to just play where you're just kind of letting these guys do do as they please. And and um, so obviously that's going to require a structure, but that that's that's when you don't want to give a bunch of directions to players, right? Is you want to say, okay, let's let's get on the ball and let's just try to to win through our quality. And and certainly you have two guys. Uh, an attack that do that by just doing as they please. I say feeling the game, finding the game. uh, And that requires a kind of a more less structured attack. Yeah. So let's get it. I want to get straight into the attack. I say we, I say we break it down like this. Let's talk about the attack. Let's talk about the midfield and then let's talk about the back. And obviously there's going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, fluctuation in terms of how we talk about the back. Cause we don't know if it's going to be a back three or a back four or whatever it is, but let's talk about the front. Let's talk about the attack. I think we can assume that's going to be some combination of three, right? You're going to have, yeah, you're going to have, I think so. you're going to, going to have three players essentially up front. Um, Kubo Torres, I think is probably the guy who's almost penciled in to be, to be a starter uh, on this team. In fact, uh, Fernando Meza talked about um, Kubo Torres coming onto the team. Let's hear what he had to say real quick while we're talking about this. Kubo I've played against before when he was with uh, Cholos. He's a forward who's more in that, that style uh, of forward like Joseph was. And, you know, we've missed his absence, obviously, in, in the tournament in Orlando. So um, we're hoping that, you know, with with both players' arrivals, they can add um, some new weapons to our attack. And like always, we're, we're happy to have them and uh, welcome them on board. Josh, when Atlanta United announced they had signed Kubo Torres, what was your reaction to that? Better than Adam John. I mean, uh, yeah. just I mean, I, I mean, I think it, it's a tough situation where you're not going to go make a big name signing because Joseph is is going to be the man starting next season. You need kind of a stopgap guy, um, and uh, 
you know, it's someone that shows he can score score a few goals in MLS. So I I think that in ter- in ter- especially when you combine that with Eric Lopez, a super young player, um, who maybe you get more out of than you expected, at least that's a threat up there because I think we agree the main reason you didn't score any goals in MLS's back is not just Frank De Boer. It's because you didn't have anyone to fill the role at the number nine position. So you know, Barco and PT who aren't natural goal scorers were relied to do things that they're maybe not too good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at least you have someone that can fill that, that role now and, and bag a few goals for you. And we've seen him do it before in the same league. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, in his introductory press conference, he mentioned somebody asked him whether he's more comfortable playing as a lone forward or if he's more comfortable playing with a, a striker next to him. And he said he's more comfortable playing with a striker next to him, though, you mm-hmm. know, of course, every player is going to say he can do both. Um, maybe every striker would say I prefer to have a striker next to me maybe. because yeah, because knows? it's always good to have other, other players next to you to link up uh, with in the attack. Um, but it did make me think like, OK, maybe it would be prudent to make sure that there is at least some player that is kind of working in tandem with Kubo Torres because he's not the kind of guy who's going to like score a goal on his own. You know, like he's not going to kind of make magic happen but i think that you know atlanta needs to make sure that they have players that are close enough that are that can connect him to the play that's something i always thought that miguel almiron was really really that was like his the best characteristic he had for atlanta united was his ability to link the the, joseph to the rest of the play so joseph could just kind of lurk up top didn't have to you know worry about his positioning as much because miguel almiron was so dynamic especially with the ball at his feet and so pacey, he could just always link up to Joseph whenever he picked up the ball. And I am interested to see how the team is going to find that link from uh, from the rest of the team to Kubo. And of course, last year, you know, Nagby kind of picked up that role um, for the team last year. It'll be interesting. Uh, and I think that Pitti Martinez is probably a guy that I would say, like, you yeah. probably just want him staying up and <clears throat> kind of staying in close proximity to Kubo. Yeah, it it has. I think it has to be PT Martinez, and it's that'll be the way that you kind of structure the front three, um, depending who you play there. I think the assumption would be if PT Martinez starts, one of those front three will basically play like a second striker with mm-hmm. Kubo Torres, and the other one might be tasked with dropping into midfield or maybe playing a little wider, particularly if it's Jurgen Dom and trying to get isolated and use his pace in behind. But I think you can, assuming it's assuming it's Kubo Torres. Assuming one of those other two is PT Martinez, because Barco, as we'll discuss later, could go in the midfield or be the other uh, the other uh, man on the front three. But PT Martinez, we know, will be one of those, and and he's the type that's going to sit up there and play as a second striker. Maybe not like a pair, like a strike pairing. He's not going to play as an out and out nine. But we've seen that he's the one that wants to uh, would be the guy to to kind of pair with Torres. But what's interesting about Almiron and what made him so special, Joe, which is like. You, you say Barco's the guy that carries the ball out of midfield. He gives it to P.T. Martinez. He's the guy that links up with Kubo Torres. Miguel Amaron was getting the ball back in midfield, yeah. sprinting through, and then getting, you know, so he was doing the job of two players in one. Uh, and so it, I think that specific difficulty has been one of the struggles since he's left is, is, is how do we make this link up where we could do it with one guy before. And now, even though P.T. Martinez is executive Barco, excellent players, now we have to do it through two guys kind of to link up to our striker. So it, it, that's how I see it being used uh, in terms of, uh, you said it, Joe, I mean, PT Martinez will be the guy to try to link up, but how, how you do it, there are a few different ways. Yeah. If any kind of soccer stats nerds are, are listening to the show, you'll probably have heard the term ball progression. It's kind of like a stat that's used 
um, by analysts, and it is simply who can bring the ball forward up the field. And Atlanta United has had some players that are uniquely good at that. Miguel Almiron, Darlington Nagby. Um, and that has always been the problem. Like, who is the Nagby replacement? Who is that guy who's going to carry the ball forward? Who's going to link these two kind of phases of the game? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you get that going? And I don't know if we've actually seen a solution to, to that yet. Um, because really, it's only, the team has only faced that problem without Nagby this year. So I think that will be very interesting. And I'm kind of with you. I think we both kind of side that um, Ezekiel Barco is one of the better options to be able to do that. Because he is such a good dribbler. Um, can can draw fouls if somebody gets too you know gets too physical with them. Uh, he's very good at that. So, but we'll talk about that in the midfielder section. Um, what I'm curious about is how Jurgen Dam and Eric Torres are supposed to get involved here. I don't really know exactly because we haven't seen them. You haven't seen them play with Atlanta United at least. What are you expecting from these two guys? And of course, we should I should say Eric uh, or did I say Eric Torres? Yeah, I'm Eric Lopez. Eric yes. Lopez. Eric yeah, Lopez. Yeah, yeah. Um, how will these two players figure in? Eric Lopez, of course, hasn't even, you know, whatever transaction would have to be made to allow him to play on Saturday has not been made yet. So we don't know if he's officially available mm. for selection, but, you know, we're under the impression that he will be eventually. How do you see these guys figuring in? I don't know what to expect from Lopez. I mean, with, with, with his age, the fact that we might see him. I mean, even though they're working that loophole in the system so he can play with the first team, but... I, do you think there's a chance that he also gets minutes with the second team as well? I don't know how it happens because he's on yeah. loan to Atlanta United too. And I don't know of any way you can loan a player who's on loan. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I've ne- if, if that happens, I've never seen that before. So I don't, maybe they will like end the loan early and buy him and then loan. I don't know what, how, how it would happen. Honestly, uh, Eric, er, 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 Eric Lopez seems to think that it's, you know, He's it pretty, sounds like pretty he's clear minded right? about it. Yeah, he was like, yeah, I'm playing for the first team. Um, so who knows? But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to expect from him, right? I mean, he's super young. There's not a huge sample size of stats on him. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's an intriguing prospect. I mean, to have a player that age pl- plays with a youth national team, seems he has a good deal of pace and speed, which is something the team has missed. Um, and that's something Jurgen Dom brings, and he's more of a proven entity. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I think if you ha- you're you playing that front three, he can kind of bring what Tito Vijalba brought last year, where you have a guy that can get, get himself isolated and just get himself in behind on his own, whether it be knocking it around a defender or making a run in, whereas it just got repetitive when it was always Barco and PT intricate passing, you know, and it became easy to kind of bog them down in the middle. So I, I, Lopez, I, I really don't know. I mean, I really yeah. don't know, but I think Dom gives you another element in attack that you didn't have basically since Tito Vijalba left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, <laughs> I asked you because I don't have any ideas either on how uh, Eric Lopez is going to be. Used. <laughs> yeah, no idea. I always felt like when I was when the rumors came up about him and I started looking at some of the video of him, I figured he would be the strike. Uh, uh, if he came in, he would be the the Joseph replacement. But that's apparently yeah, I mean, what Kubo Torres is. So. Yeah. And, but, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, we have seen a couple of signings that have gone to the twos, but it's been, I feel like it's been, that have been similar to this, but it's been clear that that's was where they were going. And this was always, I feel like kind of, even from when it broke in South America and it was just a rumor, it was, I think it was pitched as him coming into the side and playing. So yeah. Yeah. Don't know what to expect, but yeah, it will be interesting to see him out there. And certainly he's a different type of nine than Torres in that, it seems, I mean, that he'd be one to cover a little bit more ground, 
try to get in behind, get 1v1s with the keeper. So in theory, that would be a good pairing or at least a good one too for with him coming off the bench. Yeah, Lopez will be an interesting guy to track because he doesn't really fit the mold of like a typical winger or a typical striker, really. He seems kind of like a tweener to me where he's a little bit, he's kind of tall, kind of lanky, uh, not sure exactly how good of a dribbler he is one-on-one, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, Let's take a quick break for an ad and then we will get into midfield and defense and then give you some lineup predictions. All right, we're back. And before we get into the midfielders and defense, did want to remind everybody that this show is presented by our sponsor, Lucid FC. That is Lucid Footwear and Clothing. You can check them out at lucidfc.us. And I love Lucid FC clothes. They gave me some when I went to go meet the guys when we started this partnership. And uh, nice clothes. I didn't think they would, I didn't think it would be me. Like, it's kind of a, modern European English inspired brand, which is like I wear t-shirts and athletic yeah. shorts all the time. Like that's more my style. And it actually fits and it looks pretty cool. I, I actually and, wear them when I go out. And even though it has nothing to do with us, I, uh, I've started to notice how popular they are, you know, since, you know, we've gotten the swag and all that stuff and, uh, and, and gotten to know them a little better. And uh, they're super popular. You see it all over the city. And of course, it has nothing to do with us, their popularity. But I like to think that uh, it's it's simply <laughs> it's simply blown up since the podcast. Yes, yeah, since our huge following uh, has gone and bought up all their clothing. But no, I love their stuff. And like I said, I started wearing it around and I started to realize I was like, oh, man, like this is maybe the first time in my life. Uh, you know, I think that I feel fashionable. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Like a, yeah. yeah. A bizarre. I know you're the same way. Yeah. Uh, and then but yeah, no, it, it's it's good. Good stuff. And it, um, you, you've seen their stuff all over the place, all over the city. I, I guarantee you. It's kind of inspired me. It's like, should I like start wearing more fashionable clothes? <laughs> because no, I really tried it not. before. But uh, yeah, yeah, no. Um, the answer, don't. Yeah. <laughs> I see. They, did you see they have <laughs> they've had Miles Robinson do some um, do some like modeling or partnership yeah. thing with them. That's yeah, pretty yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, no, they're they're huge, you know, and I've I've mentioned this on on uh, on Mots before, but they, they're uh, they're great in the community. I mean, they're yeah. truly it's truly an Atlanta brand that is taking off, uh, you know, internationally right now. So yeah, it's a cool, definitely a cool product to wear uh, around. But also, you know, it's it's uh, it's Atlanta. I mean, that 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 symbol represents the ATL. So yeah, if love you, what those guys are doing. If you check them out at lucidfc.us, you can actually buy face masks there, which are obviously very important right now. And speaking of what they do in the community, they do donate face masks for every face mask that is purchased through them so and you can get free uh shipping with cut with uh dss free shipping, yes. so don't, don't what, a, what a positive make, transition <laughs> make sure make sure you get your free shipping with code dss all right next section is talking about the postal service <laughs> <laughs> just kidding we're gonna talk about atlanta united's midfield <laughs> did you have something to add there john I, i'm com- i have nothing to add i, I my mind is <laughs> I had lots of ideas for this segment, and you've, my mind is blank now. It just <laughs> All right. Well, how about this? Horror. How about we listen to Emerson Hyman talk a little bit? Um, because I think this is going to help shape a lot of what we're going to talk about here. Um, this was him actually today. We're recording this on a Wednesday, um, kind of talking about how he's been feeling in training. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, that's been one of the positives, you know, of of the training recently. I mean, I think people feel a little bit more free, a um, little bit more... Um, able to express themselves a little bit more, you know, on the ball and stuff like that. So I think uh, not just for me personally, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finding myself a little bit higher up the pitch and being able to combine with, um, with strikers and attackers again. So 
um, you know, it's, it's been really good for me personally, but for, I think everyone else as well. Joe, I raised my hand because, uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to go first on this and I think you think it's because, uh, I'm going to make a tactical point, but I actually wanted to ask you, I've noticed that he, despite being in England for several years, is, did not pick up the accent. Did he lose it since he came back over to the States or did, did he, ne cause you know, like Goose has that kind of weird you know, cadence where it's like, you're in England for a long time, but I never noticed it with Heinemann. So this is fascinating to me. You don't, you don't hear an accent there. Cause I do. Not really. Oh, I hear, I hear an accent. Play it again. Okay. Maybe I'm stupid. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, uh, that's been one of the positives, you know, of, of the training recently. I mean, I think people feel a little bit more free. Maybe it is going um, away a little bit more, um, able to express themselves a little bit more, you know, on the ball and stuff like that. So I think uh, not just for me personally. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finding myself a little bit higher up the pitch and being able to combine with um, with strikers and attackers again. So, um, you know, it's it's been really good for me personally, but for, I think, everyone else as well. Okay, so I'll concede that it doesn't really sound very British American there, but I feel like I've, I've just talked to him back. enough. Yeah, maybe that is what is happening. That because he's... when you mentioned that, I, I I definitely remember you talking about him having one of those weird English American mashup, at, you know, Brad Friedel esque, where you're like, "What is like, going on here?" It's like a, that. That sounded more. Yeah, that was that actually. Yeah, listening back to it, that did just sound kind of normal. He has like a soft A, like sometimes when you're not expecting it, like the ah, uh, mm -hmm. you know how they. Yep, that yep, that, yep. Get, that gets me. Um, we'll have to go back through his quotes and just see where. <laughs> maybe it was the quarantine, right? I mean, he couldn't. Yeah, he just yeah talking for a long time, so he went back to his roots. So anyway, the interesting thing about that Hyman uh, quote to me was him talking about playing higher up the field. And I actually I tweeted something out about this when he said it live because I it kind of struck me. Um, I was glad to hear it because I think that that is the best position for him, which he's kind of not really gotten a good run of games to be able to play. But Frank DeBoer used him as a as the I don't know if you would really call it a number 10, but like the most advanced midfielder in a three a few times last year. And I thought it worked out really well, like in the Campionis Cup, he played that role. Usually it was in some of the bigger games when they wanted to go more solid in midfield yeah. with like Jeff Lorenowitz back in there along with somebody else, and then Remedi. I always thought that was a good position for him. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where he's most suited to play. I mean, th and this is something, I mean, everyone has talked about how the, the playing two in the middle was was such a risk from Frank DeBoer, and because it pulls Heinemann away from the goal, it pulls him away from the strikers, and that's where he wants to be. Uh, one thing that I think he's exceptionally good at, uh, and this was, you saw this when he was playing at the point of the midfield triangle last year, was he is excellent at completing passes in the final third, maybe not even creating an opportunity for someone else, but he's a guy that can receive the ball in the final third and then connect a pass within that area. So mm -hmm. that that's going to be a Barco. That's going to be a PT, you know, um, that could even be a, a George Bellow, you know, you know, streaking down the wing. So I, I think that when you get him to that space up the pitch, that could solve so many of the problems, unlock so many of the doors that the Atlanta United, uh, attack ran into uh in orlando if you can just play him higher up and the easiest way to do that is you just play another center mid so you don't concede as much space through the middle when he runs forward so i mean it's, it seems kind of obvious right i mean i feel like again and a lot of these guys seem to be sub talking frank DeBoer and what they're saying i think that's another <laughs> come on gaffer you know like why were you playing me in yeah. a two with mo adams when i'm better up here you know and um Certainly, he feels more comfortable out there, and it, and, and I think it seems like a pretty pretty uh, 
sensible change for uh, for Glassy to be making. Here's the conundrum. Emerson Hyman's best position is, I think, is as the most advanced midfielder in a three. I think Ezekiel Bargo's best position is as the most advanced central midfielder in a three. And I don't know how you really, I don't know how you play Emerson Hyman, Ezekiel Barco, and Pitti Martinez together, unless you're playing Barco and Pitti as wingers with a with a striker up top. Right. Um, and maybe Barco is kind of that piece who's technically a winger, but can drop inside and help combine like that. Um, but I don't know. I think it'll be very interesting because like when we were talking about in the earlier segment, like, do we even put Barco in with the forwards or do we do we kind of throw him in this midfielder section? And then you've got guys like Mateus Rosetto, who's like, I guess he's oh, kind of. About yeah, it's like, I guess he's kind of similar. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who is that? I totally forgot I think, about Rosetto. I think yeah. he played like I think, I think he's played like 35 minutes he, for Atlanta United. He played the first match, but I feel like he, t- he touched the ball like five times. And there was that super zoomed out camera angle. So I didn't even know who he was. That's right. You know, like yeah. it was. But I, the, um, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, I, I think he got an him. hour. He got an hour against Red Bulls and then we never saw him uh-huh. again. So, but he, would he be one that fits, if he was playing at his best, would he be fitting in somewhere in that midfield? Is that his role? Because I don't even know. I don't, we, don't, we don't want to get too off topic with, but 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 I think the key is going to be, right, like you said, it's going to be, is it going to be Barco? So I push back on the Barco playing as a center midfield, uh, center midfielder, just for the, the reason that I think it does the things to Emerson Heinemann that Frank DeBoer was doing in terms of pulling him away from where he's most successful, whereas he could play as, as a, you know, an inverted left winger, actually kind of the way Frank DeBoer used him, but he can still drop into midfield whenever he sees fit. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have any defensive responsibility. It's difficult. If you're going to play, if you're going to play him again at the point of that midfield triangle, that could be great, but that could almost ruin your shape where it's where, where he's, and we saw this happen actually is a couple times last year where he was supposed to be playing that position, but it turned into more of a four four two almost or a four two four even because he just was playing as a second striker, not as uh, the the highest center mid, which in the, today's game means you have to come back and play defensively. So I'm a little, I mean, I think there's a reason that we haven't seen him used often in the midfield. It's been preferred for him to play on the wing and drop into the midfield to get the ball. I, I on the other hand, why not try it? Yeah, I push back on that a little bit. I think that seems to be a lot of people's opinions because that way you can get Dom and PT on the field as well if you move Parco back into the into the midfield. But you could really run into the same issues with a lack of balance if you do that, which again would be repeating some of the same mistakes uh, that you saw from from the tournament in Orlando. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. No, I, I definitely agree. I think that that is kind of it, it's it's such an interesting thing trying to predict how this team will go out there because there are so many attacking players who would have a, you know, you give them a shot to, to play in the first team. Like you, or you would think that they would be starting material, but you don't exactly know at this point. I do think that what's most likely is we will see a front three of pity Barco, a striker, Cuba Torres. Um, and then you'll build your midfield around that. I just wonder, see, I've always been concerned about Atlanta's, depth in midfield um Mm -hmm. i'm not super high on eric rometty like i wish he was the lockdown holding midfielder that i think he was kind of touted to be or people want him to be i'm not i don't think he's that guy i think i think that eric rometty needs a more defensive player or just or another defensive player on the field in tandem with him and maybe that's what steven glass will do maybe he'll play with emerson Heinemann as the most advanced midfielder and then play with 
Lorenowitz Rometty behind him. I mean, I'm I'm fine with a Rometty Loren uh, a Rometty Lorenowitz pairing. Certainly. Yeah. And that's when we've seen Rometty to me at his most consistent best mm -hmm. was when Tata Martino was pairing the two of them and Lorenowitz more of a you know he's not moved, but then Rometty can you know move and go find the ball and be more of a ball winner. But obviously, if Rometty is there by himself and he runs out of position and leaves that space open, you're in big, big trouble. So, it, yeah, I mean, that, that's a big part of the decision. But if, if Heinemann is going to be the highest of the three center mids, then, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's hard to play Rometty unless he's playing next to Lorenowitz. You know, because even Mo Adams, I think, is a type that wants to move around and win the ball. Uh, and, you know... I, I don't know. I mean, I so you. I mean, in a lot of ways, it could be the Lorenzo Rometty pairing. So you have kind of a six and an eight as your two holes. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, they their their strengths and weaknesses complement each other well. And then you have Heinemann playing where, where he's more comfortable, closer to the goal. Uh, to me, that's the most reasonable option. At the same time, I don't know if it's a long term option because we don't know if Jeff Lorenowitz can be able to play ninety minutes every week. Right. So it's it's a really tough decision that what you're going to do with those midfield three. And I don't think it's so much about the point of the triangle, because I think Barco and Hyman both can fill that role. But I think there's a lot of a lot of problems in terms of what you're going to do with your deeper two midfielders. And uh, I don't know if you have the personnel to do it. I don't know if you have the depth to to do it because Lorenowitz is going to need to be rotated in and out. It's it's a real issue. And uh, I I don't know. I mean, in the short term, I like that midfield three I mentioned this you know against Nashville. But long term, you're going to have to buy a player for more depth, or you're going to have to really hope Eric. Rometty shows a consistent side of himself that he hasn't yet. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the question of whether Lorenowitz, a player especially like Lorenowitz, because he's older, can actually play all these games. Because if you look at the schedule, I mean, we're, I mean, Atlanta United is playing two games a week for the next three weeks right. at least, and then and he's never done that. Even in 2017, yeah, he's yeah. not doing. And he that. shouldn't be expected yeah. to be able to no. do that. You know, right. like he's 36 or crying out loud. Like I thought yeah. his legs were going to fall off. In 2018, and some some somehow it's still it's 2020, and he's still one of Atlanta United's most effective central midfielders. Um, the other central midfielder we saw a lot of in MLS's back uh, was Mo Adams. Um, I like Mo Adams, but I see him more in the Eric Rometty role, where he's like a yeah. a guy who's going to hunt the ball around um, and be a little bit more mobile. That is his strength, right? He is very fit he can get up and down the pitch um he's not the kind of guy i like as a guy who's going to sit in front of the back four and protect those two center backs and really to me i only jeff lorenowitz to me is the only guy in on this roster who is really that kind of specialty player who can do that and that's that's why i'm concerned about this midfield i honestly think it's the biggest vulnerability that exists on this roster right now right yeah you know because we sit here and talk about a lack of balance i mean a lot of the problems that existed under frank DeBoer are not just going to go away because right. he's gone some of them are personnel based and that's one of them i would throw as a wild card out there fernando mesa did play uh some cdm and liga mekis and he did play there briefly in that columbus match where it was total chaos in the first half but Frank DeBoer did briefly move him there, supposedly. When John, I mean, when John Gallagher was playing center back and it was just... Yeah, no one, no one knows what was going on. But supposedly Frank DeBoer moved him to the six at the end of the first half. Uh, so that's another guy. And he's he's a guy that passes, you know, we can... I think in theory, he might be able to slide into that role as well. And you do have some cover back there uh, with the center backs that you, where you can still get away with, with, with a pretty decent pairing in Escobar and Miles Robinson. Uh, so that I would throw that in there as a potential wild card is maybe you see 
Fernando Mesa over the course of the season filling into that six role because pairing Rometty and Adams, as you say, Joe, they're just too similar. You know, they don't, they don't, you can't have two kind of ball hawking center mids sitting in front of your center backs unless you're asking one of them to do something that, you know, they're not great at. So uh, it's, it, that's a big part of it. That's a big and part. I, and I think that's one of the reasons why in MLS's back, we saw Atlanta's back line look so exposed, but it wasn't really their fault sometimes. Like they were, there was just no midfielders in front of them to protect them. You know, like you're, if you're a center back and a, and a player is picking up the ball 10 yards in front of you and just is able to turn and run at you, like unless you're one of the best center back, like that's not your, you should not be in that position where, where a player is, be, is running at you with the ball like that. Um, and not over and over again. Yeah. yeah. And that, and, and if you look at it, I mean, I actually thought if you, the specifically three center backs, uh, cause those were the ones that were constantly getting run at, uh, I thought they did pretty well, you know, considering I can only really count the amount of individual, really bad individual mistakes made. I can remember two or three, but that's it. And usually when you see a team where they're defending counter after counter after counter, you know, you start to see individual errors, you start to see marking mistakes, you know, things like that. You didn't really see that. So I think you have a settled back line at least where hopefully you can figure things out in that center midfield and they can cover for you in the short term. But certainly if you have, you know, big goals of, and who knows without Joseph Martinez, it might not be possible to make an MLS cup run. But if you have any realistic goal of doing that, you're going to have to solve the midfield situation eventually, regardless of how strong you are in the back. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that back line. Okay. So we have essentially, I think we can agree that there's like two, we know that Fernando Meza and Miles Robinson are going to be center backs, unless Fernando Meza is a defensive midfielder but let's say for the that's for the, unlikely right yeah, yeah, yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. so let's say he, he's playing center back uh and let's just say for purposes of this discussion we'll just talk about it with a back three if it's a back four we know that those two would be the two center backs um so in a back three you've got those two who's your other center back is it franco escobar would you still stick with him because i think that the, the issue is do you go with escobar he's really kind of the focal point of this discussion because he can be played either as a right wing back or as a center back and mm-hmm. in what role puts the team in a better position? I, I, I'm torn on this. I don't even know if I have convinced my, <laughs> like I could, I could be convinced either way because, but what we saw in 2018 when Atlanta United was making its MLS cup run was he was playing on that right wing and he's got the right. energy to get up and down that, 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 that wing. And he might not put in the best cross, you know, he's not like the most technical player in terms of delivery. But for me, as a right wing back, and especially a team like Atlanta United is right now, they're kind of in disarray coming off this terrible performance in Orlando. I kind of lean toward being more defensive along the back line and just making sure you have things locked in. So for me, I would go with Franco Escobar as your right wing back and probably <laughs> I'll go back to him. Anton walks as another center back. I, I'm really I'm an. I'm a walk stand. Yeah, you seem to fit walks into the lineups whenever there's a hole. You're like, ah, put walks there. I, we'll see how he figures in because I, I, yeah, that is it's going to be one of those two options. I'll just present the other side of it because I it. think yeah. this is one of the many things that we really don't know yet. Um, I think in some ways, if you put Escobar on that back three uh, and him at right center back, he's still able to get forward at times and create those matchup problems. True. Um, but but also, I, I think that he's just an excellent defender. And I think that Brooks Lennon was good enough in, or, in Orlando where you keep him on the right side and he can be a real matchup problem uh, as well. I mean, more so with his pace. 
uh, whereas Escobar, not just pace, but also physically. But I think you saw uh, a pretty good Brooks Lennon, uh, you know, particularly in against the Red Bulls, creating some chances, getting forward in a dangerous position, great, great work rate. Uh, so I think the other, the other part of it is you could maybe argue that, uh, that, that that side of it would, would be the way to go. If you're going to play a wing back, you might as well stick with Lennon. And I would say defensively, you know, having Escobar in a bay just because he's such a, such a good defender uh, and can still get forward when needed could give you kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough because in the scenario that I laid out, you know, it's like you're bumping out Brooks Lennon and he's certainly done nothing wrong that nothing that would deserve to see him being pushed out of probably the side. See a little both. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're probably in this next stretch. You'll see, you'll see a little of both. You got to figure out what works for you. You've only played five matches, right. Or whatever MLS matches. So this is still early in the season. Yeah. For so you sure. got you got to figure things out. And that that's definitely one of them is if you go back three, how are you going to work the right center back and right wing back positions? Although, you know, if Brooks Lennon doesn't start great option off the bench, uh, where he could play, he could come off the bench and play in a wing role. Or he could play in a wing back role. You know, he could come off the bench and you could drop Escobar back and he comes in for one of those three in the back and then you're in a back four, yep. you know, you can right. flip the, flip the shape just like that. So yep. uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Then, you know, we're going to see there's, yeah. there's pluses and minuses both ways. And we just haven't seen enough yet to know for sure. Yeah. 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 We don't know. Um, I, uh, what do you think on the left side? Just bellow straight up bellow because I, I like, but like bellow in a back three, if you're in a back three and he's playing in a wing back, if it's I in a three, it's gotta to go be right? right back four. Or I don't know. I don't know. That's when it gets interesting. It, it and does. that's where you threw Anton walks in there. That last is. Time. Yeah. But then, Shocking. But, but then in that crazy ass, you know, <laughs> formation <laughs> that I had drawn up in my head, I had, Bella, how about John Gallagher, Bella you know, playing his left winger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 John, John Gallagher, anywhere put, yeah put, put him in goal. <laughs> Um, do you think it'll be a back three or a back four? I think it's going to be Dunder a back head. four. Back four. Uh, same back here. Four. And, and you know what? I feel, I feel confident about it. And the reason is Emerson Heinemann, that quote you played earlier, where he talks about playing closer to the, to the attack, that means midfield three. And if you play a midfield three in a, in a back three, that's going to be more of a three, five, two, which I think is a really interesting prospect for, uh, Stephen Glass, but that would be really changing what you were doing. And, and I don't think that's what he really wants to do. I don't think he wants to come make any fundamental changes. And also that means most likely PT Martinez could very well be on the bench and absolutely Jurgen Dom is. So it, it's, it's, can it's you imagine one. if PT Martinez was on the oh, bench? Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> Just get off, get off Twitter. <laughs> but the, it, but that's why, I mean, if you find those two things, I mean, Hyman, the assumption that Glass doesn't want to fundamentally change the way the team plays and that Heinemann says midfield three. So that to me, that means fourth, some four, three, three variation and not a three, five, two, because three, four, three is a midfield two. Yep. And that's we already saw that. That means Heinemann is not as close to goal. And that's exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. So for me, I feel absolutely back four. I, I agree. And, and some things we didn't have him, I don't think, in the show today. But Brad Guzan was talking about how they have what they're training with now is having players that are in advanced positions that are ready to receive forward passes. So that to me tells me that you don't, <laughs> you have wingers and those forward players stationed up the field. Uh, and it, yeah, everything to me. They are so th- passive aggressive with these comments, <laughs> man, about DeBoer. I mean, to be fair to them, like, I don't know how else you talk about it. Like if somebody, right. if somebody asks you, how's it different? It's like, okay, well, this is how it's, it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. But, but let's talk about quickly 
left back then. Back yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, so the great thing with walks, and I actually had noticed this because I went and did some more research when you had brought up the back four with walks on the left uh, the last time we were, we were talking. And he actually played there a decent bit at Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not easy to move from right to the left. So, um, but he's a guy that can do it. So uh, I think that's definitely an interesting one. The same time, I mean, maybe try George Bellow there, uh, get him some experience. I, I, you know, you, you don't want him to lose minutes, um, especially a season like this. So I, it's a that's you've got the decision kind of on the right we discussed in the back three with the right center back, right wing back, and in the back four you have the big question at left back. What do you do there? I to me it seems like it's got to be very like matchup dependent. So I could see yeah. George Bello playing as a left back when you're playing against Nashville. Um, I could see him playing as a left back in a back four. But if it was if this game that they were playing on Saturday was against Orlando, I would not want George Bellow playing as the left back in the back four. I'd probably be more comfortable with somebody like Anton Walks, who's not going to be, you know, because they're just different players. George Bellow is going to be a guy who wants to push up the field, is going to want to overlap, try to even get in behind the defense, as we saw in MLS's back. And Anton Walks would be a guy who sits a little narrower, plays more of a possession game, kind of like what we saw with a guy like when Florentine Pogba was playing at left back last year, kind of in that mold. So it's probably, I, I would guess it's going to be kind of matchup dependent. I'm not like super confident in George Bellow as a left back at this point in time in a back four, simply because I don't know if it even um, allows him to express his best qualities, you know, when he's out there. I I, I feel like George Bellow could be pretty effective as like a, as a as a late game sub um on the le- on yeah. as like a left winger similar to the reasons we just talked about with Lennon right where he could come in as a wing back he mm-hmm. could come as yeah. a winger he could change the shape he can do you know it i agree with you about him at left back though i mean on the one hand i mean i think it it would do him some good to get him some experience there mm-hmm. um so certainly if you can get him in there in a matchup maybe a little easier like Nashville but at the same time, I mean, I think people, it's not like it's just the, the him getting caught too high. That's a problem. It's going to be the one V one defending. It's also going to be aerially, right? If you're a yes. back three yep. and you're a wing back, then you're kind of covered at the back post, you know, uh, or on crosses because of an extra defender behind you. Now you have to pinch in and win balls in the air. And, and he has really struggled there. And, and he's struggled with a lot of those kind of little things defensively, which I think is to be expected. Sure. Sure. You know, for his level of experience, but if you throw him at left back, a lot of those things are really going to be exacerbated and, and, and you could lose games because of it. So it's, you gotta, you gotta get an experience though. Right. I mean, if he projects as a left back uh, later in his career, but at the same time, I think that could really cost you in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can agree. Like, at least we don't want to see Edgar Castillo. Do you remember that he I played for Atlanta United? <laughs> I, I was never, I always thought he sucked. So yeah, to be honest, I, I mean, uh, I think defensively, I mean, he's a guy you always look back and just, again, he, he's a guy and, and we go back to this, these off season moves where you signed a bunch of wing, wing back types, mm-hmm. you know, like Castillo, he doesn't suck. Of course, I shouldn't say that. He's well, professional, but he's kind of, he kind of profiles like Bellow, except he doesn't right, have exactly. the upside and he doesn't exactly. have like the pure athleticism. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you're being more mean to him than me. It sounds like, but you know, look, I mean, he, he yeah, right. He's and he was signed to play as a wing back or wide mid, right? I'm sure he wasn't signed to play as a left back in a back four. Again, it, strange, strange personnel signings at the wing back, fullback positions that left you kind of stuck with this. If you went to a back four where you had the question with Escobar on one side, where yeah, he's good uh, and, and you like him there, but maybe you'd prefer to have him at center back. But then, particularly on the left, where you just don't have 
someone that you can kind of station back in the back four that the Nanton walks who's a right-sided player. So yeah, it's, 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 it's tough. I mean, that's the biggest part of it because it makes sense to go back four. I think based on what Heinemann said, back four is, is going to happen, but you just, you, you have a big, big question at left back really, no matter what option you go with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say we uh, give our lineup predictions and then get out of here? Let's do it. Should we well, I have some questions for you, Joe? Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. You have some questions. Um, we, yes. well, we can agree back four, right? Four, three, three. Yes. That's what we're thinking. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so we, we've agreed the center backs are going to be uh, Miles and Meza, right? Yes. Agreed. Let's say our left back on uh, on three at the same time. I, okay. don't, know, I don't know what you're going to say. Okay. One, two, three. Bello. Bello. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Good. We're on the same page there. Uh, and then Escobar on the right. Yeah. Escobar okay. on the right. This so, is going great. So Bello, Meza. Great radio here. Great radio. Bello, Meza, Robinson, Escobar. All right, so now we've got our, our midfield three. I would put Jeff Lorenowitz in the team. Yeah, got two. And I the, think you need that stable force. You you know you have to have that stability there at least to start when you figure things out in that center of the field. Mm-hmm. You got to at least start with with a guy you, you know you can rely on defensively. Yeah, Frank DeBoer always called him like a coach. He's like a coach, yeah. it's, it's the extension of the coach on the field, which he really is. So yeah, I totally agree. And then I think you put I, I would pair him with Remetti and Heinemann. That would be my midfield three. I don't know about what what do what would you do. <laughs> Uh, I'll go. I'll go. Hey, I'll I don't know go how many Adams and Heinemann just to disagree with okay. you. <laughs> just, <laughs> I was gonna, I was say, gonna say Remedy, but yeah, yeah. I think I'll go. I mean, in some ways, I think Adams, uh, Adams might might do a better job there for you. Yeah. Um, but but Heinemann Heinemann is gonna be the key certainly in terms of connecting that midfield be, uh to to the attack. So yeah, I think though you know Lorenowitz and Heinemann seem like pretty obvious because you need that st- stable force protecting the back four and Lorenowitz. You need someone in Heinemann that you know can connect midfield to attack, but then you kind of have a question with that third one. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be Adams or Remedi and they, they fit a similar profile of players. So I don't think it's like a critical decision. It'll just come down to one of those two playing well. Yeah, totally agree. And then the front three is Barco Pitti and Kubo Torres. Yeah. So Dom sits, I think you stick with the inverted wingers. I mean, so but Dom <laughs> sits, Lennon Frank sits. Frank didn't. Yeah, Lennon said, yep. Frank DeBoer didn't have it wrong. I, I didn't I, I think if you want to use players like Barco and PT Martinez that are are ones that want to drift around playing attack, you play them on the wing, you play them inverted. So they're basically just coming inside all the time under their strong foot and they fill in basically underneath the striker. Mm-hmm. So I you know, while it didn't work under Frank DeBoer for a litany of reasons, I think that's the way you are best served employing those two, at least for now. Then you have Dom coming off the bench who adds that change of pace. And maybe in the future you mix things up there, but certainly to start, that seems the prudent decision. Yep. Yep. So we agree on everything. Great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. It kind of the lineup makes itself, I guess. I thought you were going to say walks, since you know you'd play walks at every position. <laughs> so I, I feel like that played. I wanted to. I was like, this might be the only one we disagree on. Well, so I'm I think say Bellow. I think um, if it was any other team other than Nashville, I would not go with Bellow. Yeah, that um, was my. Th- but well, we agree yeah. again. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. All right. Um, got to bring Franco on here. Bring Sam Franco on here. Yeah. And get some disagreement going. <laughs> or Eric to Embrace say that debate. PP should be Embrace shipped debate. off. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So anyways, Joe, I wanted to ask you a couple things, man. I, yeah. I, and I don't know. I don't know if our listeners are interested in this or not. I One of the things that, you know, I'm sure people are always asking you for inside information and all these, you know, and you're like, you know, you don't want to 
violate sources trust i've always been more interested in like more just regular fly on the wall stuff you know stuff that you've seen you know just day to day you know talking to these these guys or obviously it's been a while but being at training mm-hmm. um so i just want to ask you a few questions uh about that and i don't know if people are interested in this or not but i, I feel like they sh- they should be uh and i wanted to ask you a bunch of questions about stephen glass like do are the players going to call him glassy is that is that <laughs> happening Ah, uh, that's a good question i don't know i will say that he's not like a he's not a joker uh, mm-hmm. he's not like into like sarcasm or like, you know, he's just like, he's very nose to the grindstone here to do a job. Um, but I, yeah, I, I would assume the players are kind of taking to that personality. I mean, I'm not trying to make him out to be some sort of grouch or anything mm-hmm. either. Um, but he's not the guy who you would want to kind of be playful with in an interview situation. Like if you're in an interview, okay. he's there to answer your questions and ask him the questions and you know. Um, but he doesn't have a translator, as we know, so it's you no. know, kind of unfair. Maybe he should have a translator because the, <laughs> the, the accent is quite thick. If you, if you asked him to repeat himself and said you didn't understand him in an interview, would he be upset? Uh, I would be or too bothered? scared to ask. Enough <laughs> said. Enough said. I love this guy already. I love this guy already. So what, because I was going to ask about his personality, what, what, what were some of the first impressions you got of him that made you realize, you know, this is a guy well liked by players, but but a kind of a more business first approach. Or is there any like thing you've seen or like something that he said to you that made you kind of pick up on that? Um, I think the one interesting thing that he's said multiple times when I've talked to him, because when I talk to him, it's been in the context of him managing the twos, of course. And I mean, you probably have a better like a, a you've probably spoken to him more time on in the in, in the Atlanta United media, I'd imagine, right? I mean, yeah. Probably. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. So um, the expert opinion here. Eh, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. The interesting thing when I've been, when I've talked to him, I always want to ask him about players, you know, because he sees mm-hmm. them close up close more than anybody else does. And I'm like, okay, like I want to know who's, how's Bello doing? How's Carlton doing? How's like so-and-so doing? Um, but he's always like, I don't want to talk about players. I don't want to talk about players. And I think because he understands in that role, it doesn't really benefit the player to, for him to go, kind of talk them up in the media. So I do think that he has a good sense of, you know, on the one hand, I wish you would just tell me about the freaking players. Cause I, cause I want to, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to know the inside scoop. Need the quotes. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I also respect the fact that he understands, you know, why it might be problematic for him to do something like that. So um, I think he actually does have a good, a bit of kind of awareness of the media um, and not to say that Frank DeBoer didn't or anything, but I feel like Frank DeBoer was like he would Different style. He would he yeah. would he would say stuff like Pity was a danger to the team. Right. And I don't he think he was much more candid. Yeah. With that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that uh, Glassy will be a little bit more. Um, yeah. Just like a little bit more buttoned up, a little bit more traditional in that sense. OK, so you're terrified of him. Good to know. OK. <laughs> well, and, have, uh, I, have I have I told the story about the mistranslation? You did. Uh, I, mis- I think I'm, we talked about yeah. it last time. I want, yeah. So, but I don't think you said what the specific. I wanted to ask you about what the specific quote was. And now that you tell me it was all business, like was he pissed or or was he just? Yeah. No. What, what happened there? Well, he. So I didn't end up getting to talk to him about it until like a month later because I just like hadn't jo- jo- hadn't seen so him. You, and we should set the table. Sorry for those that didn't listen to the last one. You misunderstood him and then went on to misquote him. Yeah. In a in a DSS story. I misquoted him in a DSS okay. story. It was okay. a it was the story at the very beginning of last season, the two the last two season, or maybe it was even twenty eighteen. 
Mm. Um, going way back. Yeah, I think that's when it was, actually. It would have been one of my first times ever talking to him, actually. And he, he there was something about... um. It was about like the twos wanting to be more focused on winning or something. And it was so it was something like that. It was something like where I said that he had said, uh, like, we want to win. We're here to win or something like that. We want we're, we're focused on winning. And he like I get the the actual quote was something else that was similar to that, but kind of couched still in the whole development thing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like in mm-hmm. that in that, you know, it wasn't as we're all, it wasn't we're all about winning. It right. Yeah. A, yeah. Right. Uh, so it was something like that. And there was like just like one or two words in there that that I lost in the, the Scottishness of it all. And that kind of changed the whole tenor of the sentence. And so that was Who the could, issue. So the, did the so oh, I picked ahead, so I, yeah, so I picked up on this after you know we did the story. The, there was the game that night and the announcers on ESPN plus were like, talk to Stephen Glass before the game. Uh, said he was didn't like say he was misquoted, but he was like. Wanted to clarify some reports that were out there about Atlanta United two being all about winning this season. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> was it? Was it Jason? Was it Jason? No, and no, John? no, was it no. The they, they were on the road, so it was yeah. Okay, so it, it was, was like team. some okay. other yeah, yeah. Um, so he went to them and okay, yeah. Gotcha, and gotcha. so I was like, shit. so I, I like texted the somebody <laughs> at the club, and I was like, did I get that wrong? I was like, I need to go back and listen to the recording, and um, yeah. And then did you, like, did it's you speak like to him directly about it. So I, he, it was just like a very quick, like, cause again, I said, I talked to him like a month later and mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, sorry about that. He was like, no problem. And it was just like that. It was like, we didn't really discuss it at all, but it was like a, sorry, no problem. That was it. Um, okay. But, uh, shit, hopefully I, I one day you'll have a laugh. <laughs> hopefully one day y'all will have a laugh about that then about how, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, he's a good guy. Like he's super nice. Um, I can understand. Yeah. It was definitely when he was first met, hired. So I can understand why he would be kind of like on his toes a little bit about, you know, yeah. what's being said in the media and stuff like that. Well, he knows Americans are idiots, right? He's, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. And it's tough for him because, you know, he's I get the fact that like he wants to say the twos are all about winning. And then he has to roll out like Kevin Kratz next to Andrew Carlton <laughs> next to, you know, like, it's, that's a tough job, man. Honestly, it's so you have hard. to weigh so many different things. It's so I mean, hard. We, yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask you is we've seen many awkward moments in zoom calls uh in many different environment scenarios have, have there been anything where you've been uh you know when you guys have been talking to someone and maybe someone you know didn't leave their you know felipe didn't unmute his computer and his you know baby's crying or something like that hopefully worse hopefully more scandalous <laughs> D- doug trying to get in first you know 15 people talk at once what what's <laughs> What's the most awkward thing that's happened on a Zoom call? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm reminded of like in um I might be aging myself here, but in the Naked Gun movie when he like le- the guy he's like on stage with the mic and then he leaves the mic on, goes to the bathroom, like everybody in the auditorium yes. can hear him like piss- that's pissing want, in the urinal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing like that has happened in a Zoom call. Uh, there was a guy, there was someone today. Don't want to name him because it was an honest mistake, but he had somehow unmuted himself and he was just like rapping on the keyboard so it was like oh yeah (laughs) and uh it was like so loud that it was actually on our zooms like you have like a big speaker view where whoever's talking is in like a big box and like the keyboard was so loud it was like taking over the person who was talking so it would just be like his um blank screen so he didn't have his face in there but uh nothing too nothing (laughs) too crazy i'd say did anyone say like excuse me the person clearly typing loudly on your keyboard i actually stop there's a little zoom feature where i could like privately message him i was like hey just so you know you're uh 
really loud. Oh, so it's someone you're close with. All right, we're narrowing. I, I knew this who he was. Already. I knew. I knew who he was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't, you would never. Gosh, you would never guess. You would never guess. Oh, he was a national man, guy, like a national MLS guy. No, I, I want to. And you got you. Everyone, I think, in the Atlanta United media world is doing you guys are doing a real good job man i mean i'm not like uh just you know oh I'm you're part of ticket. it you're part of it i mean yeah i mean whatever i'm a, but I, you know you, you i'm not you know just maintaining I, I i think it's almost important for the players to, to 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 talk to you guys and maintain some sense of a normal professional environment uh and obviously the content from you guys has been great. It's, so. it's been it's been much more difficult this year obviously with the covid situation and like it's hard to explain why it's more difficult or just why you don't get as good of a experience in covering the team when you're doing it over this digital format as opposed to being there in front of them. Because there are things that happen. Like last year, I remember, uh, I think it was last year, yeah, when uh, DeBoer came in and like, sat down because somebody was delayed. So like we just like watched some soccer that was on TV. And it was I think it was Barco was playing for Argentina in the U-20s. So... Like sometimes things like that happen and it's cool because you kind of get a different insight into people and you just don't get that with this. You know, it's just yeah. extremely um, cordoned off. So, yeah, I mean, that's and that. Yeah, you, you kind of lose that. Pers- I mean, it's probably going to ruin these questions in the future if you don't get to get in there. Like the, it's so fascinating just to be, you know, to hear from you and the people that are physically around these people you know, these professionals. I mean, I, you know, you told me that story about Frank DeBoer, Joe, it's fascinating. You know, it's one of the great defenders to play, you know, so I know. He was ahead of his time and he's just living in Midtown, you know, like, <laughs> well, not anymore, but you know, to me, that's fascinating. So, but I, I think even despite, yeah, I'd imagine that's tough. Right. But uh, I still think the it's been good content out there, man. I mean, certainly Orlando provided us some well, good content, whether y'all were there or not in terms of quotes. And hope, I mean, it'll be a lot easier once we get past Saturday. Like I was, I, we've been planning to do this show for a long time. And honestly, I've been dreading it just because I didn't know exactly how we were going to talk about all these things because they're so yeah, unknown. Right. In the air, yeah. So um glad we got Is through he- it. What's that? Are you allowed at the game? Media is media allowed to, at the games right now? Yep, we will be. Um, I mean, we. I haven't gotten my application back, but yeah, media credential uh, applications were filled out this week, and so I imagine we'll probably be getting those back probably tomorrow. Um, Great. Yeah, so and well, we'll I think we'll, we'll get temperature checked and distanced and ma- mandatory oh, masks yeah. in the press box and all that, and then we'll just zoom into the. We'll still just be on our computers doing zooms from the press box down into the to the locker room. So gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. And, well, I'll have a lot of questions about that because that is fascinating as well. Just the new way of doing this. Well, I was chatting with Rob earlier a second ago. Uh, we were talking something about Hyman, Rob Usry at Dirty South Soccer, and I was like, yeah, you know, like it would be. He, <laughs> Some of these questions you want to ask some of the players, it's really difficult to ask in a Zoom call where it's like it's like I have questions that I would ask um, in the locker room, just like when you can get somebody one on one when like no one else mm-hmm. is really around. You can just kind of be like, hey, man, like, that's true. You do you like this three, four, three or something, like, you know, something like that. And you can kind of like get a good, like honest response out of them because they don't have media and cameras and lights and stuff all blasted in their face. Um, they might say something to you that's worthwhile. That's so you just don't that's really true. get that because every time they're in media, it's like so very public. Um, so yeah, stuff. Didn't think about that. Well, we'll be counting on you guys. We'll be counting on you guys to get pull some good some good gossip out of there. Regardless, I don't know if anybody's uh, heard this story. Uh, there, uh, <laughs> Emerson Hyman. I was asking him. He got man of the match after the. I guess was it the uh, the first game of this season? I I guess it would have been. No, Nashville match maybe where some, he had that banging goal. Must have been sometime last season. 
Um, th- th- I guess there was a game where it was like their first game where they stopped giving a guitar to the person who won man of the match. Mm. And so, <laughs> and so I saw Heinemann holding this little like dinky, like, um, like a trophy that you would give for like a, a six, like six year old, like a little shoe on it. I was like, dude, the day that they, you get man of the match for the first time, the day they stop giving out the guitars and you get that thing. He's like, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like, <laughs> oh man, that's brutal. Do they still give that? That's what they still give out like a little tiny. Uh, I think so. Music. Yeah, it won't. It won't be the guitar anymore, at least. I mean, how long do you keep coming up with these guitars? I, I mean, it's, it's got it. I know. That was a lot of work for whoever was making those things. Yeah, they were, I mean, they were awesome. I always loved looking at them. Oh, yeah. That was super cool. But, but like, yeah, Joseph Martinez has got to have like 10 guitars. At I know, like, right. I mean, come on. How many do you yeah. need? Oh, yeah. man. All More right. More guitars than dogs at this point. <laughs> at least, at least the, the guitars don't run away, right? We don't know for sure. <laughs> All Maybe right. That's why they stopped giving them away. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get out of here um let's do this again soon i don't know if we're going to do it next week or if it's not next week it'll probably be the week after we'll keep keep this show running uh for a good while just periodically so good catching up josh and uh we will talk after this national game yep awesome good to talk to you good to talk to everyone else you can find me on twitter at josh b914 that's smart to plug yourself which i always forget to yes. do you can follow me at I'm j patrick 200 and you can follow Dirty South Soccer at Dirty South Sock S-O-C. So with that out of the way, uh, we will talk to you guys as well after the Nashville game. Uh, we'll see you then. Bye. <laughs>